Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the news broke yesterday. Donovan Mitchell, concussion protocol. He is out for tonight's game. Jazz are home to face the Houston Rockets and will have to do it without their leading score. Now, I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again, and it didn't work out before, which is another way of saying I'm wrong without saying I'm wrong. <laughs> the Jazz should have enough talent to beat the Rockets without Donovan Mitchell. They should do it. Now, they didn't have Mike Conley, and they were going back-to-back in Orlando, and they lost to Orlando. And they weren't full strength. They didn't have Rudy Gobert against Detroit, and they lost to Detroit. They didn't have Rudy, and they lost to the Indiana Pacers. I mean, these are three of the worst teams in basketball. And Houston's right there with them. Houston is not a good basketball team. There is nothing about Houston. This is a team in a rebuild. This is a team currently in the teardown bottom-out stage. They're sitting on 13 wins right now. Only Detroit and Orlando have fewer wins. The Pacers have the fifth-worst record in basketball. So, now, the Jazz have lost to four of the bottom seven teams in the NBA. So could they lose to Houston without Donovan? I suppose they should. They could. Should they? Absolutely not. 100%. This Jazz team has multiple guys that Houston would die to get their hands on right now. They just, like, they take them. They take all the salary implications. <laughs> the Jazz should win this game. They're at home. It ought to happen. Yeah, I know. Everybody's worried it isn't going to happen. So Now, does this explain a little bit of what happened with Donovan in the second half? I, I suppose so. Have you ever had a concussion and um, not known it? I, I did once. I was in a car wreck. It was uh, had to be 20 years ago now. And the cops wanted to put me in an ambulance and send me to the hospital. And I wasn't bleeding. I didn't have a broken bone. Uh, no, I'm fine. And, uh, well, you can't drive the car. And you're going to have a toad. And you got to have somebody come pick you up. My wife came and picked me up. Yeah, oh, you want to go to the hospital? No, I'm fine. I don't have a concussion. She starts driving the car. You know, it takes a while to do the paperwork and all that. She starts driving the car. And I'm like, uh... I think I should go to the hospital. I might have a concussion. It was clear to other people. I didn't know. Now, maybe it wasn't clear to other people, you know, or certainly wasn't clear to Donovan, I guess. Or maybe it was, and he tried to play through it. So it's a a little odd to get the delayed reaction because they're they're pretty careful with that these days. But, you know, if it doesn't come in an obvious moment with your head, you know, striking the ground or something like that, maybe they missed it. But no Mitchell tonight. And the Jazz... And they need to win this game. They need to beat Detroit. They need to get a little uh, get a little momentum going before the schedule toughens up because they are about to see the Phoenix Suns for the first time. And they're about to see the Warriors. And the Warriors won last night. They beat Detroit. Uh, the Warriors are shorthanded. They're not playing great. But they just blew Detroit off the floor in the first half. They had that lead up over 20. And you can look at the minutes, man. Guys did not play big minutes down the stretch because that game was under control. Detroit made the final score look better. But, man, Detroit was down 20, down 25, and they were struggling. And Jazz get Houston tonight. They get Detroit on Friday. Then it's at Golden State Sunday, at Phoenix Monday back-to-back, home to face Phoenix on Wednesday. So, tough stretch of schedule coming up. How do the Jazz measure up against the top two teams in the league? Jazz have dropped the fourth in the West. That is still the fourth best record in the NBA. The top four teams in the West all have a better record than everybody in the East. So, for the rest of Jazz now, it's a chance to step up. Joe Ingles, I assume, back into the starting lineup. Bigger role for Joe. We usually see him uh, deliver in these kind of situations. So, you know, you got a lot of guys who had bad shooting games, and we always talk about the love numbers. Man, that was a great line for Matt Harpering. Um, 
The law of averages, a.k.a. the law of numbers. Guys who are coming off a bad shooting night, Bogey, Rudy Gay, Jordan Clarkson, look for them to get going. Obviously, Donovan had a poor shooting night. Maybe the concussion was part of that, and he's not going to go tonight. But these other guys, man, they, they have got to get this win tonight. It's just they've lost five out of six now. And I know they didn't have Rudy for four of them, but they should have beat the Lakers, and they should have beat Detroit. They probably should have beat Indiana, too. So... The losses are piling up. It has been a bad stretch here. They've lost six out of nine, and it is time to get going. All right, we got to get going. Got to take a break here. Uh, coming up, we got some NFL playoffs uh, for you. Really interesting to see uh, where it goes from here. Get serious now. Six teams out. Some teams that we thought really probably shouldn't be in are out. So now the matchups get really good. Green Bay getting San Francisco. Green Bay ought to handle them. The Rams, man. The, the Rams going to Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay shorthanded, miss some skilled players. That could be a good game. The Chiefs and Bills looks like the game of the weekend. That should be great. Don't know what to make of Tennessee and Cincinnati until if you know how good Derrick Henry can, how much he can play, how many carries can he handle, how's that foot doing. Uh, it's hard to know what to make of that game. All right, DJ and PK, we will uh, talk more playoff football next. We've got a Hall of Fame voter, a longtime NFL reporter. You're going to hear from him coming up in a minute. Stay with us. And we've also got basketball with Steve Cleveland coming up. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. NFL playoffs, week one down. We are down to eight teams now. Six of them sent packing. Seven games to go before we get the champ. There's so many question marks. The Packers, to me, are clearly the favorite. Doesn't mean they'll do it. They lost to the Bucks at home last year. They are clearly the favorite. The Bucks injuries everywhere. The right tackle got hurt early in the game. And at first, just so many guys down for them. You know, are, are they going to get Fournette back? Giovanni Bernard, a former Bengal. Can you imagine Gio in the Super Bowl? Bucks and Bengals against his old team. Uh, you know, he got it done week one. But, man, that was a low bar against the Eagles. So I think the Bucks rams is a really enticing matchup. And I think that the, uh, the Packers-Niners looks like the easiest game to pick. But the Niners' defense means it's not a slam dunk. But Garoppolo's got a thumb injury. Now he's got a shoulder injury. The Packers are the better team. The Packers are playing at home. Packers have a week off to get healthy. I mean, this screams Packers. But that Niner, that Niner front four, that Niner defense, and Fred Warner had the sprained ankle, the former Cougar supposed to play. Can they go out and win 17-14? How did the New York Giants at 9-7 and seven win a Super Bowl? Clutch plays by the offense, but an awesome front four that dominated the line of scrimmage and got after the quarterback. So you're saying there's a chance. For more on the first round of the NFL playoffs, those wild card games, Jason Cole, longtime NFL reporter. He's a Hall of Fame elector. He's got a ballot. He gets to vote. He joined PK and I yesterday. He'll drop some last nights referencing that Monday night blowout between the Cardinals and Rams. I really thought that was going to be a better game. I thought the Rams are going to win, but I thought it was going to be a better game. Anyway, here is Jason. He joined us uh, in yesterday's show. Here he is with his thoughts on the opening round of the NFL playoffs. Jason, welcome back to the show. Good to be here. What's going on, guys? Well, there's a lot of storylines and there's a lot of things to get to, but the Cowboys are America's team. And the end of that game was a mess. And there were way too many penalties. 
And honestly, they got dominated by that Niner defense. He only scored seven points in the first three quarters. That's a huge problem. And is anything going to change in Dallas at all? Or is it just going to be wash, rinse, and repeat? And we'll see these Cowboys win a bunch of regular season games and check out of the playoffs early again next year. You got it. You're, you're, you're good. You, you got the explanation. It's, it's not changing. <laughs> like Jerry Jones is in charge. And the only thing that he wants is a coach that will allow him to do what he wants. So he's not going to change up for that. And it do- ultimately doesn't really matter who the coach is. Uh, I would say this. I think Mike McCarthy's done a pretty good job of navigating Jerry to get the team to where it is. Um, I think Jerry's going to interfere more and more because he thinks he has a team that's ready to win a Super Bowl. But other than that, no. I I don't see them changing after having a coach who got them to the playoffs. And, by the way, they led the league in scoring this year. I mean, that's a good team. It's not a great team, but it's a good team, and they're going the right direction. So... I think some of this histrionics about firing McCarthy are kind of silly. Do you feel the same way about uh, Kingsbury with Arizona? Um, I mean, generally, yes. I mean, I, I, look, again, I think Kingsbury's done a really good job. I'm not a big fan of that offense. Um, I think that offense is based on – it's X's and O's based – spacing that requires superior players to make it work the right way. And so when you lose a DeAndre Hopkins, all of a sudden everything sort of falls apart, if that makes sense. Um, So they have to do one thing. They either have to get, you know, they have to get Hopkins back, but they constantly have to feed that offense star receivers or they have to make the transition to what New Orleans did with Drew Brees so much, which was make sure that you have two really good guards, great guards, and a really great center who are stout, who make sure that you have a clean pocket for your short quarterback. Um, Because he can't really exist other than that. Uh, I mean, like the interception on the the Connor screen pass, well, Connor, you can make the argument that Connor should have caught the ball, that's the kind of throw that you get from a short quarterback because he's got to angle that ball up high and and hard to get it around the defensive lineman. So you really got to have a clean pocket for a guy like that. So Kingsbury has to go one of two ways. I think the most likely way is he's going to go with superior wide receivers. So they have to keep bringing in those guys. And unfortunately, they're either A, high draft picks, or B, expensive free agents. They've gone from five wins to eight wins to 11 wins in the three years he's been there. Should there be this much mm-hmm. hand-wringing, or should they just... No. I mean, they, they seem on the right track, even though the results... That, the problem is they, they play much better early in the year than they do play late, and then they play late in the year. And that has been a trend each of the three years. Sure. But the win total is still... I mean, that, that's a great trend, 5, 8, 11. Absolutely. They're doing fine. Okay, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be changing the coach. I'm not. I wouldn't. I'm not sure I would have hired him in the first place because, again, as a foot, he doesn't play a kind of style of football that I like to play, um, and I like to build because I think it's precarious. But if you were gonna 
draft that quarterback. You're going to go draft a coach who knows how to use that particular quarterback, right? So from that perspective, I'm, I'm good with it. And like one size does not fit all in the NFL. You can win multiple ways with multiple different systems. The question is, what is the most consistent way to win in the NFL? And I don't think it's the way that Kingsbury coaches and the way that he's formulated his offense or the way that you have a short quarterback who depends on running around. You know, a short quarterback who runs around eventually becomes a short quarterback who doesn't run as much because his body gets banged up. And that day is going to come sooner than later. And what you have left is a guy that you have to protect in a very, very different way. From both aspects, Jason, I was really surprised with the Bills and Patriots. What do you make of both of those teams in that situation? I thought that was going to be a blowout. Um, I I wasn't surprised at all. I think Buffalo is just better than them. Um, Now, it got out of hand. It was extreme, obviously, because Buffalo scored a touchdown on every one of their possessions. But I don't think those two teams are particularly close. And I don't think that – I think the Patriots – I think Mac Jones was okay in a first playoff game as a rookie in a brutal environment and a hard place to throw in zero-degree weather. He better learn to do that because that's going to be the kind of playoff weather he plays in his entire career as long as in the the Northeast. Um, So I, I think there were some promising things for the Patriots. But the Patriots were a team that won a lot of games this year by reducing errors and, and slowing games down and um, you know, just playing percentages. And once in a, when you come up against teams that are just better than you and have better personnel overall, they're going to they're gonna destroy you. And I know Buffalo, their record doesn't indicate that, but they had this really rough patch in the middle of the season You know when they got, got banged up, their offense had some problems. And, you know, they lost Tredavious White. You know, if you take away that middle part of the season, this is a team that started 4-1 and one and ended the regular season 4-0 and oh, and now are basically 5-0, and oh, you know, five-game winning streak. That's a pretty dominant team. You know, they survived that middle stretch and made the playoffs. I, I think Buffalo is a lot better than we make them out to be. And I think they have a pretty good chance to go into Kansas City with that with that offense and because they're willing to throw it and challenge that Chiefs defense. The Chiefs and the Bucks both win big. They were supposed to win big. The seven seeds mm-hmm. haven't won yet. I'm sure they will at some point because we've seen nine and seven teams go to the Super Bowl and in the case of the Giants win it. So it'll happen. But do you do you like this? <laughs> I mean, are they letting in too many teams? Or is it just it's a money machine? And if the the number two seeds have quarterbacks that everybody wants to watch, and the NFL wouldn't have made money if those guys had buys and were standing on the sidelines. So just deal with the expanded playoffs. Yeah, pretty much. Like this is still a business. At the end of the day, they want they want to see more games. They want Monday night games. They like Sunday night games. They yeah you know, they want games. There's, you know, networks are desperate for more live action. So give them what they want, take the money for it, and run. Um, I hope they don't go to eight. I mean, it's like seven's pushing it. It really is. I mean, because Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's record was, was fine, but Pittsburgh was a horrible team this year. I mean, that, that offense by the end of the year was just, 
I mean, it was it was awful to watch. And I wasn't, you know, like that game. I basically didn't watch much beyond the second quarter, right? So I don't know how how valuable that is as a as a commodity long term for the networks, other than they do have some action. Um, and you know, Philly. I wasn't really dying to watch that team play in the playoffs either. Um, they're pretty mediocre, but you know they have winning records, so it's okay. I think you get into troubling areas where you have those years where you got eight and nine teams, or maybe even at some point a seven and ten team. That's really a, where I think you're you're hurting the integrity of your game if that starts to happen. But I, I still think that's going to be the exception. Um, other than that, yeah, deal with it. This is this is what you get from a money making enterprise. For sure, yeah, no doubt about that. As I look ahead, I view Green Bay as a solid number one seed, and obviously in my mind they they belong there. Uh, in the AFC, Tennessee's the number one seed, and, and they belong there because they got there. But are, do you view them as invincible? And maybe I'm wrong to view Green Bay as a heavy favorite, and we'll see what happens. But I think Cincinnati has a decent shot against Tennessee. Oh yeah, I like. I mean, now they played in the regular season, and, and Tennessee stopped them pretty good. And I think Tennessee's offense, Tennessee's defense, is is pretty darn good in the back end, um, and their ability to handle Jamar Chase and Higgins and, and Boyd, um, they're going to give Joe Burrow more trouble than you expect. The other, the other problem I have with Cincinnati is I thought Zach Taylor was a little bit too conservative early in the game when he had opportunities to to put that game away. Like, they, their first three possessions were all deep in Oakland territory. Um, via return or the or the fumble by Derek Carr, and they go up 13 nothing. But that really needed to be a 17 or 21 to nothing game for them to sort of establish themselves as, hey, look, we're serious contenders. There's still that, you know, <laughs> they're not ready for primetime players. That that's They're really, really good. Um, I just figure that they're going to fall into being, you know, into being Bengalized by the Brown family, and, like, they're just not going to achieve what they're supposed to achieve. That's That's my fear of this Bengals team with Burrow and Chase. Now, hopefully they overcome it, but I was really kind of disappointed with Zach Taylor not driving that game a little bit harder. All that said, yeah, the matchup is pretty good for them if they can get a couple of quick scores. If they can get a couple of quick scores and put the game in Ryan Tannehill's hands where he's forced to drop back a lot and they either don't use uh, you know Dante Freeman or they don't use... Derrick Henry um, on a regular basis and, and pound Cincinnati, then I think that becomes a game. But if it's a slower game where Tennessee is, you know, it's a one-score game all the way and Tennessee is able to establish their running game, I think that becomes really hard for the Bengals. For the Titans here, doesn't it just depend on if they get their star back back and get him healthy and he's 100% because – if they've got him, then they're back to who they were when they, as PK say, they earned the number one seed. I mean, credit them for holding on to it without him, but to think that they can win three straight playoff games with him at I mean, limited in whatever fashion he's limited, whether it's 
conditioning or soreness or injury or re-injury or whatever, that, that seems like a crazy thought. But if he's 100%, they could do this. Yeah, I don't know. Look, that's a tough foot injury to come back from a loose Frank, Frank fra- fracture. Um, you know, so we'll see uh, on that one, you know, how much confidence he has in his feet because, you know, big, a big guy's got to be have, have that confidence to really put your foot in the ground and, and you know, attack, attack a, a defender. Look, but I thought Foreman was really good, right? Like, I, I don't think that that's necessarily their problem. I think their problem is if they – like, if, if Ryan Tannehill has to make too many plays, he's still just Ryan Tannehill. He's a really – Nice version of Rich Gannon, um, like that—that's what he is. Um, you don't want to have to have him have to make five or six plays, you know, critical throws in a game. You want to reduce that down to two, three, maybe four big throws. You know, third and six, third and eight plays, you know, getting you out of bad field position, so that you know you're you're punting from. You know, when you have to give up the ball, you're not giving it up in in you know mid at midfield things like that. That's that's the kind of thing I worry about with Tennessee more than anything else. Their defense, championship caliber defense, no question. The coach, I mean, Vrabel learned everything possible from Belichick in terms of game management that you pop, that you could. And on top of that, he's a great communicator and has a vision for what his team should be. Right. Um, so you have a, a really great up-and-coming coach. So all the pieces are in place for them to win, with the exception of one thing: the quarterback's just—he's a—you know—he's above-average player, and that's about it. I—that's the best I can say about him. So I—you know—that's where I think the liability comes in uh, for them, because in the in the playoffs, you need a combination of a great quarterback and a great coach generally to get you through it. They got one of those two, not not the critical one, the quarterback. Jason, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for coming on and talking NFL playoffs this morning. Anytime, guys. Be good. Enjoy it. There's Jason Gold, longtime NFL reporter and a Hall of Fame elector. When we come back, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. He joined us in the 9 o'clock hour yesterday. And a lot of takes both on BYU's big win at USF and the Jazz loss to the Lakers. That's next. Stay with us. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Steve Cleveland joined us in the final hour of the show yesterday to talk about the Jazz disheartening loss to the Lakers and the three-point struggles and the way they shot the ball so poorly. And also about BYU's big win at USF. I had been saying that uh, you know with the BYU big guys out and with their struggle scoring, the limited option scoring the ball, I, I really wondered if they are going to make the NCAA tournament. A loss at USF and you struggle... A, couple other games and and drop them to some inferior teams on the road as we've seen them do before and and you're out because your good games at the start of the year are trumped by the bad games at the end because they say oh you had injuries you don't have the guys and so those wins and they devalue those wins and they kick you out of the tournament because it's a tournament for power five teams which will benefit BYU in a couple more tournaments but right now it works against them but that win at USF that's a great win that is a it's a road win against a team that's undefeated at home, fifteen and two going into the game. It's a great 
win. And also gives me more confidence as these other guys step into bigger roles that they'll be able to handle some of these lesser teams on the road and not mess those games up. And they got more of a cushion to work with now because they got another quality win in the bag. I'm feeling really good. And some of you always felt really good, so I'm just late to the party. But I am feeling really good about BYU getting into the NCAA tournament now. All right, for more more hoops. Here's Steve Cleveland. Late in yesterday's show, he'll drop some last nights on the Jazz and Lakers. Jazz and Rockets tonight. Uh, here's Steve Cleveland with PKNI. It's time to welcome in our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland. His weekly interview brought to you by Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. Steve, good morning. Good morning, fellas. Steve, it's a good morning if you're a BYU basketball fan, fired up by a come-from-behind win on the road at USF that went right down to the buzzer. It is not a good morning if you're a Jazz fan and you just watched them lose to the Lakers. Which game would you prefer to discuss first? Because ultimately, we're going to talk about both of them. You know, let's talk about BYU for a minute. Uh, You know, it's a fun group to watch. And you're right, it was a big win. Uh, And I, I think a couple things happened on that trip. First of all, playing Gonzaga... You know, you'd think if you put up 80-some points, you'd be in a competitive game. But Gonzaga shot like 60, 60% in that game and just was incredible. Uh, but that being said, uh, I, the loader kid, I think this is a big, big weekend for him. I I have been waiting for this young man, Caleb Loner, to, to kind of make a mark and, and find his place with his team. He's, he's athletic. He can shoot it. He's got good feel for the game. And he goes 17 to five against Gonzaga, and then makes some big baskets uh, at San Francisco. Uh, I, I think that would, for me, he's going to really help BYU going forward. It looked like he had the confidence. Uh, Barcello, obviously, receiving lots of accolades around the country for how well he shoots the ball, how well he runs his team. But it is a team that's really connected defensively, uh, and even though Traore and and Gideon George and Atiki, you know, there's not, you know, there's not a lot of a lot of size. I mean, they lose two bigs, it, it hurts obviously. But at the end of the day, I think defensively, this team is just rock solid. I mean, they're just playing so well, and you always kind of like to go small anyway. And they're having to go small; it gives them a little more flexibility. But everybody seems to be clicking. I I, I see them going to the tournament. We've talked about this before. Uh, I still think it's going to be a chore to win the conference, but uh, be- beating USF there was a big win, and you know it's maybe a year where they only have a, a two or three losses at the max uh, in conference play. So fun to watch. I-, I don't watch all the time, watch all the games just because of circumstances, and but I actually watch both the BYU games, and I-, I think defensively they were just so good that uh, they made timely big baskets when they needed to. And uh, San Francisco kind of helped them. I mean, you, <laughs> you got nine or ten seconds to go, and Boye ends up taking down a contested 26-pointer, 26-foot shot. That, that didn't make much sense because San Francisco still had a chance to get into overtime, but they didn't. But congrats to BYU, just really guarding, playing connected, together, tough, tough group of guys and uh, fun to watch play. All right, so tell me I'm stupid and you've got no problem telling me this. What When I watch Holmgren at his stage, I see a little bit of Garnett, I see a little bit of Durant, and I spe- see a little bit of Nowitzki. I mean, I, I, I like your, your analysis there. Uh, 
you know, you, I've watched him two or three times, and uh, you know, obviously, it's gonna, his, there's an adjustment, and, and it's not like I mean, getting into conference, the the level of competition won't be what it it, it has been. I mean, they played quite a tough preseason. Uh, yeah, he's got a big time ceiling, man. I'm I'm telling you right now that he's so long, and and he's more athletic than he looks, and he's got a good feel for the game. I mean, he's going to get stronger. And he's going to get more comfortable. And, I, you know, he's, he obviously he's probably going to be a pro next year. And when he gets into that environment, I, I, I think he, you know, you, you can see him. You, at times he looks awkward and he's not in the right spot. But then you see moments and go, whoa, down the road, this kid's going to be a really good player. And uh, But he's, for Gonzaga, you know, to have Timmy and to have him inside and, and two very different post guys. But I, I could see Holmgren being a guy like Mobley, you know, too, where he he spends time out on the perimeter and he perfects that three point shot and uh, but he is long and talented and uh, you know watching that Gonzaga game I didn't know a lot about their teams but the the six five point guard uh, Nembrard uh, wow he's real I, I thought they lost a little bit when they lost the guards from last year but that guy stepped in and, and gave him twenty two and twelve and um, that's a nice, that's a fun team to watch and. Uh, and I, and I really did feel like BYU played well against them, but Gonzaga's just that good. So more impressive, Gonzaga with three straight games with 60-point first halves, three points a minute, or the Buffalo Bills never having a fourth down against the New England Patriots. More overwhelming <laughs> offensive performance. Yeah, you know what? Everybody here in the San Joaquin Valley is kind of pulling for the Buffalo Bills. Uh the quarterback there is from Fireball, which is a small little town in north of Fresno that nobody's ever heard of, and he ends up going to Reedley Junior College, and then ends up going to Wyoming. So, uh, the the Buffalo Bills are high on everybody's list in Central Valley right now. I'm going to throw a name at you from the past that few remember: Treori, Celeste Rivers. You think it's an accurate yes. comparison? Yes. Yes. Traore's even got more bounce. Those two dunks, those little sneaky dunks he had, <laughs> I mean, it's all of a sudden, boom, it was so quick. But, no, somebody asked me that the other day, and I, I, I agree. It, it, it kind of reminds me of watching Lester Rivers. And, uh, and, and this kid has even more toughness. I mean, my goodness, and explosive hops. But he, they have very similar games. Uh, I think Traore has a, a, a bigger upside because he's just so explosive. And... Uh, but I never seen anybody get two quicker dunks than he did on rebounds, and uh, but yeah, I like I like that comparison a lot. So the Jazz lose to the Lakers, a 500 Laker team, and this just adds to the list. The Jazz have four losses to the bottom three teams in the East. What do the Jazz have to fix so that they go into the playoffs and Jazz fans feel good about their chances? Because I don't think any Jazz fan waking up this morning is feeling good about them. <clears throat> no, because uh, you know, Memphis is going to take their place in that third spot, it looks mm-hmm. like. <clears throat> and, you know, I watch, and I don't have a chance, like you all, to watch all the games. <clears throat> and I do get bits and pieces. But I watched the whole Jazz game yesterday. And I have a love-hate relationship with the Lakers, who have always kind of been a team that, growing up in L.A., I mean, I, I, it, I can't stand being a Laker fan. I, I can't stand how they play. Uh, it, it, everything's so static, and you just wouldn't want me to go off the Lakers. But here, here we go. We got them playing the Jazz, and 
<clears throat> I didn't realize before I started watching the game that the Jazz have been on the road for it seems like a month or so. So <clears throat> I think some of it had to do with the fact that they've had seven of eight on the road. But for me, watching them last night, nothing was north-south. There wasn't <clears throat> a lot of movement. And they just they, they seemed like they shot a lot of contested shots. They couldn't get to the glass. And they looked tired, to be honest with me. I, I, I had not seen them play a lot, so I, I, I will admit that first lately. Uh, I follow the scores, but I, I'm looking at that game and just – I mean, I, Mitchell was just, like, non-existent. He, he, he just – he wasn't – he didn't even have a presence in the game. And he always has a presence in the game. So, you know, I think part of it is the fact you've been on the road for a couple of weeks and you're just tired and hopefully – They'll get through this, but you're right. There were some bad losses to some not-so-great teams. But I think what I've watched during this year with all the COVID issues and watching all the changes and lineups changing, that uh, even though we may not know their names, if you're in the league, you, you know, guys that play in that league are all pretty good players. And a lot of them just given the opportunity with the right attitude and the energy, uh, that's how upsets take place. But there's a lot of really good players in this league that none of us have ever heard of. And every night there's a new guy that steps up and has a big night. But the Jazz didn't have a lot of energy last night. They just settled for shots. Um, and, and that being said, the Lakers gave them every opportunity to get back into the game time and time again. And, and so it, was, it wasn't like they just quit, but I just felt like the Jazz lacked energy. They, there was no really attacking the rim. Uh, it, it just... They just seemed a little listless, to be honest with you. And I think that probably has more to do with being on the road for a week and a half and playing away from home. But they, they certainly were not connected last night, and they didn't shoot the ball well. Mitchell goes 0 for 8 from the 3. Bogdanovich is 1 for 9. Uh, Clarkson, I mean, Clarkson struggled. You know, it's 6 points. Uh, you, can't, you can't win anywhere at 37 and 27% shooting threes and shooting two-point field goals. So... Uh, I, I suspect it'll be good for him to go back home and play the Rockets and the Pistons. But I, I was looking last night, and I was just kind of looking at everybody's schedules. And they got to go play at Golden State, at the Suns, back home with the Suns, and then play Memphis on the road. So they're going to need to get their act together really quickly here, get the rest they need, get refocused, because, uh, yeah, I, I think they're going to win the next two ball games. Hopefully that'll give them some confidence. But they've got to go out and have – five or six really tough tests in a row. And uh, so I, I've seen the Jazz play so much better, and so have you. But last night they just didn't seem to have their legs. And uh, it, it just – there wasn't a great deal of energy. I don't think I'm going to, you know, focus so much on that game as I am. What's going to happen when they get back home, get some rest? And, and really what I'm going to watch to see is how they match up with the Suns and Golden State and Memphis because that's going to decide whether they're going to have a chance to be a second or a third place team or more like a fourth or a fifth. More than likely, the Jazz are probably pretty locked in. I mean, Dallas is one. They've started, got it going and stuff. But I think, I think still the Jazz are going to be one of the top four teams. But right now they could, you know, they, they could drop if they continue to play this way. But, uh, yeah, I love Memphis. So I'm, I'm kind of on a Memphis kick right now. After going and seeing them play in person the other day, uh, I really like that team. And, uh, and they play with 
great energy and great purpose. And you got young guys that are getting after it, and the Jazz aren't that young. And so they, they're usually connected and they're usually together. Uh, let's hope they get that thing turned around quick. As a coach, how do you handle it when guys aren't shooting well and maybe you question their shot selection? Uh, can you say, hey, that's not the best shot in terms of confidence can be fickle with shooting? So from a coach perspective, what's the best way to go about it when guys aren't hitting their shots? You know, I, I, watching a lot of film helps, I think, uh, because you can, you can just see tendencies. But I think one of the things you just mentioned, that is is taking contested shots early in shot clocks or, you know, whatever the circumstances are. And sometimes, you know, it's just the circumstances. You get the ball late in the shot clock and you got to shoot it. But I, I think that one, that's one of the things I just can't stand about the Lakers <laughs> is, is they're always shooting contested shots. And a lot of that deals with there's not a lot of movement. And, and, and I, that's what I saw kind of last night with the Jazz. There, there wasn't the kind of movement – and so a lot of things will be like, hey, are we moving – collectively as a team, are we moving without the ball? Are we making sharp cuts? Are we coming off the back screens, the front screens, all the down screens, everything we're doing? You know, how is that – what's that look like? Okay, well, we're doing those things. Okay, so let's, let's take a look at mechanics. And, and, but I like to watch film because the film doesn't lie and you, you have an opportunity to kind of – okay, those weren't good shots. You know, that, that there was a better shot. And usually the Jazz are a one more in another, you know. I mean, they're very unselfish, but last night they just settled. And they settled and took a lot of contested shots. The other thing is, you know, and, and in the NBA, they've got so many coaches. But just taking the time to, to competitively shoot in a gym. As a head coach in college and in junior college and even high school, when my better players were struggling, I had to work them out and just have an opportunity. Now, the pros have so many good coaches, and that's probably not a need for the head coach to work with them. I, that's what I did, and I guess I wanted to not only just help them physically, but let them know, you know mentally that, listen, you can do this, that you're, you're a good shooter, and, and focus on the positive, and then watch film of them making shots. And, and, and one of the things I know as a player, I always wanted to try to get to the free throw line, or I wanted to get to the rim and score early, to get the confidence because the basket got a lot bigger. And if your first three or four shots are threes and you're not close, all of a sudden it gets in your mind. And I don't care who you are. uh, It's one of those things, how great you are. The mental part of shooting is a significant thing. And it always helps yourself if you can get to the free throw line or get to the rim and, and, and get that confidence, especially when players are struggling with confidence. And I, I can't imagine that McDonavich or Mitchell or Clarkson, I, I think they get through this and they'll be, you know, it, it may be as simple as one game and they can get it turned. But those are things that I would do when, and, and these guys are pros, they all have their own coaches and shooting coaches, but I, I, I promise you that they're all going to be getting shots up today and, and wanting to get that groove back and get it back where the ball needs to be. And film can show a lot. And at that level, man, they got so many analytics and technology that they can help there but a lot of times just getting in the gym and taking it but if you're always taking contested shots and you're taking you know man and that's not a that's not a jazz you know that's not something that the jazz do they're, they're not a team that takes a lot of contested shots you do or forces shots it's always one more and it's inside out and create space i didn't see much of any creating 
off the drive and kicking and one more. It, it, everything was kind of static and stationary last night as I watched that game. The Athletic has a story that says the headline, Sources, Lakers coach Frank Vogel's job in serious jeopardy despite Jazz win. Bill Orem and Sam Amick are uh, the two guys who wrote it. We know Bill because he wrote it at the Tribune. Uh, they point out that uh, Vogel only got a one-year extension in the offseason, which was an, kind of an awkward compromise. It's a 500 team now. Man, when you hear that, you're a coach. I assume you're going to side with Vogel and say, this roster has obviously got holes in it, and they've dealt with multiple injuries to star players. What in the world are they firing the coach for? Now, they haven't. Thinking about it is different than doing it, but as a coach. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be any fairness in that at all. And, and you know, might as well make LeBron the coach, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because that seems kind of what's happening anyway. But it, it, and you know, I watched Coach Vogel. I when when I lived in Indiana and Paul George was there, we were serving a mission back there. I went to a couple of games and I actually got to meet him and 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 watch their teams and and I don't know who the best coach is for this, but man, when you look at all the circumstances, you like you mentioned the injuries and you know I don't I don't think he put that. I don't know. Maybe maybe he did have a, a lot of responsibility in putting that team together, but man, there's a lot of gaping holes and there have been injuries. But but it's a team. For, to me, the the most the thing that bothers me most about the Lakers is 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 just the lack of movement. It's so static, and it's just one on one. Everything is one on one, and they are solid defensively. They showed that last night. They can play defense, but it's hard to play defense and make baskets when you're always behind, and and their shot selection is not great all the time. And and there were good things last night watching, but I've watched them enough to know that. They take way too many contested shots. They're not solid defensively, um, and they've got some weaknesses. So I guess that in, in today's world, the first guy that goes is the coach. But I, I don't think there's any fairness in that, considering the injuries, considering protocol. This is not the time to be firing coaches. I, I don't know what, how things are going to change if the guy next, sitting next to him is going to now be the head coach. I just don't see that. I don't think that's the issue, and I don't think it's going to solve their problems. Um, and I, I still believe if, if the Lakers were to do some things differently offensively and, and, and guys get healthy and get on protocol and Anthony Davis actually could get back to where he's playing. I, you know, I, I was a big proponent of Anthony Davis playing the, the five, and, and I still am to a certain degree. I, I believe it, it causes double teams. But, if, if, you know, the problem is you got guys who they spent $90 million on Horton Tucker who's shooting 24% from the three and 40% from the two, and the rest of the shooters are so up and down. Now, Monk had a good night. Uh, you know, Kate Ellington will have you – know, there's no consistency with their shooting. And, and so they're going to immediately double Anthony Davis every time he gets the ball because they can leave guys that aren't shooting well. If the Lakers could put somebody on the floor, get four guys on the floor, they could shoot it. Anthony Davis would be a perfect five because he's hard to guard because he can take and step out. He can do so many things. Uh, well, the way things are right now, maybe he just better. Maybe you're better off just getting them on the perimeter and taking elbow shots and taking threes and getting something out of them. But but uh, I, I just don't like the guys they surrounded. It's forced Anthony Davis to uh, not I mean he, Anthony Davis even though he's I think he's still averaging 23 or 24 points a game but if you take enough shots and you're as big as he is but I, this is not a coach problem 
this is the organization of a team, and you brought all these guys in, and it's taken a long time. Do I believe a month from now or two months from now they could get it together and get going? I do, but I don't think it's there to win an NBA championship. I don't think they can get out of the West. Uh, anyway, I think the Suns and Golden State and Memphis uh, are going to have home court advantage. They're going to be playing on the road more. Uh, the Laker fan in me from years past, yeah, I'd love to see him figure it out. But uh, Byron, Coach Vogel, that, that doesn't make sense. What they do at the end of the year, but who, who are they going to get to? There's, it's just, there's, not an, there's not an answer to that question. The guy sitting next to him or two guys down, whoever that coach is, they're going to have a different relationship. LeBron James is the coach of this basketball team. He, he's been probably very involved in bringing these guys in. He, on the floor, they kind of have a system, but it's real simple. But LeBron makes a lot of this. It appears from the outside that this is LeBron's team, and it's really hard to coach and play in the game at the same time, and that's part of the Lakers' problem. Steve, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you again next week. All right, guys. Have a good one. There's Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next. Stay with us.